So just over about a week ago, Shahid, um, something happened and you shared uh, this announcement with us on, on Slack with Mike and me and on Twitter. And I'm pretty sure that Mike and I didn't fully understand the, the importance and the impact of this announcement, but you explained uh, what this news was all about and, and we decided that we wanted to talk about it on the show. So why don't you tell me uh, what like the starting point of this conversation, this announcement from this company called uh, Housemark, I think? Housemark, yes. Housemark. So Housemark are one of my favorite developers um, of all time. They made one of my favorite games of all time, and they made a few other of my uh, favorites as well. Um, Super Stardust HD on the PS3 mm-hmm. was a work of absolute genius. Um, but obviously, they've also done Resogun, which Resogun was, on the yeah, PS4, yeah, exactly, which was you know a voxel masterpiece on the PS4, and they've recently done Matterfall and Next Machina which are, again, two beautiful arcade games. Hmm. But uh, Ilari, who is the CEO of Housemark, announced uh, just over a week ago, as you say, that they are going to move away from arcade games, which Mm -hmm. I was sad about. I understand why they want to make that call, but I was sad about it because I don't think anybody in the world does arcade games like these guys do. And... The other thing they said was that they are going to switch tech to Unreal Engine. Hmm. And I put out a tweet saying, I think that that's a little bit sad and that that's not necessarily a good thing for creativity, at which point a whole bunch of people just jumped on me. <laughs> of course. And, <laughs> and said, what are you talking about, dude? <laughs> you know, uh, engines are great for creativity. And I think they missed a rather subtle point. And Frankly, that's a limitation of Twitter and of my ability to communicate something quite subtle in a very short space. And the thing I was trying to say, basically, was that when you create your own engine, you are in complete control of the entire system, Mm -hmm. all of the hardware. And you can do as little or as much as you like. And you can tune that engine to your idea. And the the developers who, for decades now, have been really, really good at that are best placed to use their own engine because they know exactly how systems work. They know them inside out. They understand the fundamentals. They've developed robust um, methodologies for handling new hardware. And so with companies like Housemark, as they move from platform to platform, they were very PlayStation-focused, of course, but as they moved from platform to platform, they were able to evolve their own tech, and it allowed them to express themselves. Now, I think one of the reasons that they want to move away from arcade, if not the main reason, is they don't think it provides adequate return. Right. I don't think there's enough of uh, market interest. And that's a little sad, but understandable. And so the games that they want to make won't necessarily need their custom engine. So I think if they had continued to make arcade games, I'm not convinced that they would have made the call because their engine, their technology, their know-how, their ability to extract Mm -hmm. maximum performance from a machine is what gave them the edge in arcade. Mm. It's what allowed them to 
create something like Resogun that ran at 60 frames per second and looked impossibly cool with gazillions of voxels all over mm. the place. So when you say arcade, what, what kind of hardware are we talking about inside the, the cabinet itself? Like a PC, I assume? Oh, no, I meant arcade as a genre. Oh, okay. I mean, they clearly love arcade as a concept. You know, when I say arcade, I mean the right. type of games the, the type that are of derived game. right. from the okay. original arcade games. You know, very twitchy, uh, shooters, yeah. score-based, sure. reflex, uh, get into the alpha state, and so on. And there are very few people out there who are excellent at this. Housemark is one developer, uh, Jeff Minter, um, and his uh, colleague, uh, Ivan, who are at Llamasoft. They're also yeah. two amazing people at Arcade. Uh, but there are very, very few others who are willing to do it. Many years back, there was, of course, Geometry Wars. Do you remember that? Mm. Uh, that was on the Xbox. Not the Xbox One, but the the first Xbox. Which, was, which, which game is it? Uh, Geometry Wars. It was by oh, yeah. Bizarre Creation. Yeah, I got the, what is that? Geometry Wars 3 on the iPad Pro, I think. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Okay, and for yeah. that, you need maximum performance. Right. And to get maximum performance, you need to understand everything that's going on in the system. And the problem with engines is that they, I, I call it a problem, it's also a strength. They are designed to be used by as many people as possible and to be robust in an extremely wide uh, set of use cases. They've got to work for everyone. And, uh, and once you move away from arcade, as Housemark are talking about doing, they're their dependency on their own tech reduces. So b before we, we, we get into the details, I, because I, I think I have an idea of what an engine is, but when, when we're talking about engines like Unreal and like, or, or if a developer makes a custom one, what is exactly an engine? Like, what, is it like the way that... Like like a development suite for the graphics or the animations or like is it like like what does it look like actually it's like is it a download like like if you're an iOS developer you download Xcode and is that an engine uh, because I'm I'm not sure how how to describe like how to visualize it the engine. Um, hey, join the rest of the world. I mean, it's <laughs> it, it is actually quite confusing. But let let me try and uh, break it down in 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 a way that. I can understand, and okay. hopefully that means other people can understand too. So the the key thing to understand about an engine, because there are many, many types of engine, and we won't get into the categorizations and everything, but the key thing about an engine is it is just software. That's all it is. There's nothing magic about it, okay. apart from the fact that it constitutes an enormous amount of uh, code and art and design and so on. But an engine is basically software. And it's, if we're talking about game-specific engines, like Unity, Unreal, GameMaker, and so on, to some extent, they become the machine. And when you make a game using one of these engines, you conform to the paradigm of the machine. Of course, there are some people who will take that and go, well, we understand the paradigm, but we're going to take out the graphics and we're going to mm. do that bit ourselves. And the engines do allow you to do that. I'm not sure how much GameMaker allows. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm sure someone from YoYo will, will let, let us know. But certainly Unity and Unreal allow you 
a reasonable amount of freedom to drop in and drop out various components. In fact, Housemark have said that they're going to use their own uh, graphics stuff and use that instead of Unreal's. Hmm. So all it is is some software that abstracts away the typical tasks that a game programmer would have to do when they were making a game. And in the case of engines like uh, Unity and Unreal and Game Maker, they present an, a kind of like a, a virtual machine almost. Like here is the way that we want you to think about the representation of, of a system that can play a game. Now go ahead and use our system to make your game. These are very extensible systems, and you know all about this kind of thing from your experience with iOS. So, um, you know, you can you can use scripts all over the place, okay? okay. You can use objects all over the place. Uh, in Unreal, you can use this thing called blueprints, which are a visual representation of a script, which is quite neat. You can use different languages as well. Um, the, the bias in Unity is towards C-sharp, mm -hmm. which is uh, a pretty modern language, but um, it is not as quick as the language used in Unreal, which is older, but a bit more unwieldy, and that's C++. So there are pluses and minuses to both systems. Many people say that Unity is easier uh, to get into, a bit more forgiving, mm -hmm. whereas Unreal offers a bit more power. And there are people who say exactly the opposite, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing to appreciate, I think, is essentially it's just software that abstracts away a lot of the work that you would have to do when you're building a game. In the old hmm. days, you had to do everything, okay? So you had to you had to write the code that would draw everything to the screen. Hmm. You would have to, um, you had to write out reams and reams and reams of very, very complex graphics code just to do the simplest possible things. And what happened eventually was that as machines became more complex, as a graphics hardware became highly parallelized and highly difficult to to program because you've got these programs called shaders right and these shaders can be uh geometry shaders they can be vertex shaders they can be uh, fragment shaders when you get to this level it can become quite difficult and now you're talking about things like compute shaders and and then things get really crazy and so the difficulty then becomes it's hard enough to learn all of this stuff to write your own engine on one machine. But what if you need to ship your game on a number of different machines? Mm. Are you going to learn the hardware architecture? Well, you know, graphics is tough, right? But we also have things like memory management. We also have audio, which is becoming extremely sophisticated, particularly with VR, where you now have right. 3D placement of audio. You right. know, you have a whole ton of stuff. And then you've got modern animation. You've got yeah. importing of objects, like 3D graphics objects, right. um, and animations that are created in other highly complex pieces of software. Yeah. And I can imagine like, like even stuff like 4K and HDR, which the Xbox and the PS4 treat differently. That, that could be challenging if you're making a game for both platforms, because, every, because each console does things in a different way. <laughs> mm. Yes, okay. exactly. It's more stuff that you have to learn. And the big advantage of engines like the ones that we've talked about, is that they take this problem away. But not only do they take it away, they are able to invest a lot more resources. That is, they're able to put a lot more engineers 
onto these problems. And these people are some of the best in the world at these problems. Whereas if each game developer had to solve these problems on their own, reinvent the wheel, if you like, every single time, they might not necessarily come up with a really good solution that works across a number of different formats. Whereas the, the teams at Unity and Unreal are some of the best in the world at these specialities. Like, for example, if you wanted to do, if you wanted to create a shader that gave you an accurate representation of animal fur. Okay. So this is what we're talking about, like the, that kind of detail. Okay. Right. If you wanted to do that, now you've done it, right? And it works on one machine. You, you try and port it to another machine. It's just not working. Mm. Whereas if you just use an engine, that stuff is just so much easier. So much easier. So, so that these are some of the pluses and minuses. I think the difficulty that people had with my comment was that I said it would take some creative options away. Right. And the, the reason I said that was that, quite simply, if you're at the top of your game, if you're one of the top developers in the world, and you have a vision about what you want to make, and the way the engines present the system to you does not align perfectly with your paradigm, then you're always going to be fighting against that engine. Because you know when people make games for Unity and make games for Unreal, make games for Game Maker, they always say things like, you have to do it the Unity way. If you right. fight the system, you're going to struggle. And this mm. is why some companies have had tremendous performance issues making Unity games. It's not that Unity is bad. It's just that maybe they did things in a way that Unity just wasn't designed to handle. And coming up against those constraints can be really, really painful. Mm. So, so you, you need to compromise somewhere. Yeah, if... well, you need to compromise. And you also need to understand the strengths and weaknesses of the engine so that you can design appropriately for it in the first place. And that in itself can take quite some time. You know, there is, all right, you don't have to build your own engine anymore, but you do have to understand this hulking great big API that is enormous, that has been built on for year after year after year and does everything and does it brilliantly. And thank God it does, because otherwise, you know, I basically wouldn't have a job, right? <laughs> I'm using mm -hmm, Unity. Right. But it does, it does mean that you have to understand a lot more. It took me quite a while, for example, to understand the Unity way. And I'm not 100% there, but I'm a lot closer. And I'm not fighting it anymore. And, and that feels great. Suddenly, everything's flowing. So there is a learning curve, you know, if you want to understand how to get the best out of something. So that, that was my subtle point. Now that I know the Unity way, I probably won't make a game unless it fits right. the Unity way, right? right. Mm. Whereas these other developers who are some of the world's greats, like the developers of Uncharted, you know? Yeah. <laughs> these people, uh, you know, stuff like No Man's Sky, which is groundbreaking in so many respects. You, you look at these engines, you go, oh, that's not going to do what I want. Hmm. I'm going to have to build this myself. And that's exactly what they do. It, this discussion, it kind of reminds me in a way of like when I, when I wanted to start a website and I could have I gone in two directions. I could have made just my own, my own CMS from scratch exactly for my needs and I could have done anything I wanted. Or I just wanted to have something that would have allowed me to have a website in a few months and so I decided to use WordPress, which 
as I learned over the years, if you try to fight WordPress, you're gonna you're gonna be you're gonna have a sad day. But it also allowed me to have to spend more time on other creative and and admin tasks. So instead of having to create my own CMS, I focus on writing and selling ads and just coming up with ideas. So in a way, I, I feel like this discussion is about. Do you want to use the third-party tool that has a set of rules and you need to understand those rules and not fight them, uh, but that tool maybe doesn't allow you to do everything you want exactly your way, but it allows you to save time and be creative, or do you want to control the entire stack and you can do whatever you want, but there's a, there's a cost to making your, your own thing from scratch and that could be a problem down the road. Yeah, that's absolutely it. It's that's a perfect analogy. Hmm. You know, who wants to reinvent the whole stack? And WordPress is really decent, you know. Yeah. It it might not give like the most creative web developer in the world exactly the solution they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they can go ahead and and do what they want, you know. It is for the very few, the very brave and the very accomplished. Hmm. So where where do you think it makes sense to make your own game engine? I think this is a very difficult question to answer. Mm. And for that reason, uh, I thought it would be a good idea if we spoke to an expert about this. So I had a chat earlier with Alex Evans, who is the co-founder or one of the co-founders of Media Molecule and one of my heroes, frankly. And I think he does a really, really good job of explaining who should develop their own engine and why, given that that's exactly what he's done now and in the past. Today's show is brought to you in part by our friends over at Squarespace. Use the offer code insertcoin at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. They'll let you easily create a website for your next idea. And with a unique domain name, award-winning templates and more, you have everything at your disposal. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that will let you put just about anything you want online. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. They've got it covered for you. Whether you want to create an online store, portfolio, blog, site for your business, business or your band and no matter what it is that you want to do they have all of the tools quite literally all of them that you're going to need they back it up with 24 7 custom support if you need any help and all of the but so many things squarespace are award-winning as well as their customer support also their templates as well they're, they're just fantastic you can sign up for a plan today and use the offer code insert coin and get 10% off your first purchase and also show your support for remaster. But just go to squarespace.com and you can sign up for a trial with no credit card required. And their plans start at just $12 a month. And that's insert coin for 10% off your first purchase at checkout. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. I'm delighted to be joined by one of my heroes in video games. I have very few heroes, but Alex Evans is one of them. He's a co-founder, of course, of Media Molecule. And he's brought, along with his colleagues at Media Molecule, an awful lot of joy to an awful lot of people. Hello, Alex. Hello, Sahid. Thank you for the uh, uh, intro. I mean, that's that's a crazy intro to hear and sort of bite my tongue through, but thank you very much. And I'm, and, and it is amazing that games can in general, bring so much joy to people. And that's the thing that keeps you going, isn't it? Through the dark dev days. Um, it's that 
realization that there are people and kids adults alike that that get so much out of them yeah and you've really focused on that as a company yeah i think um when we started out someone nailed it better than we could and we've sort of clung to this ever since which is you know the idea of disarming people which i think is quite a british thing i mean we're not the only people to do it but that idea that you sort of puncture any sort of pomposity with a bit of silliness and then um people get drawn in by that and then you know obviously we've got the sort of creative gaming angle going on which is flowered around around us in the last 10 years which is wonderful because it means that we're sort of still doing our same old thing but um trying to do it in new ways and and the audience is receptive as far as we can tell so again gamers are evolving and it's a, it's a wonderful time to be, be making stuff really and correct me if i'm wrong but you've always used your own tech to to make your games right yeah i mean it's funny that I am accused regularly and entirely justifiably as the sort of not invented here um, nightmare person. You know, I I, um, I invent all the wheels and enjoy it very much. And my only defense really is that I enjoy that that journey. I enjoy that process of, of creating. And I think one of the things that's underestimated outside of game development is how important it is to enjoy the journey. You know, the end result is the, is the important thing. But if you can't enjoy the process to get there, then it can be very... Uh, taxing and uh, I happen to be one of those strange people who loves going as low level as I possibly can which normally means the platform SDK I haven't quite delved into FPGAs yet but that's on my radar um, but yeah so th- we always do our own tech and and I know the subject of this podcast and I was thinking about it over lunch and I think the bottom bottom line is whatever makes you productive makes you personally productive is what matters most but for me, what makes me productive is is figuring out the wheels again, even if they're a bit lumpy. Um, I, you know, it makes sense to me to do it that way. You said something really interesting. You said that the process itself brings you joy. Do you mm. think that that joy is ultimately reflected in the game that you've created? Do you think it comes I through? Hope so. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I think that it's funny, isn't it, that something as crazy as, because I was basically making a technical point that I have to enjoy this process of, you know, building stuff up from a very, very low level. But as a result, I get this enthusiasm and this kind of desire to serve only one master. So this is another angle, which is, um, again, I'm not trying to um, diss any other way of making games. I think it's so lovely that it's not a zero-sum game. You can make your game with Unity or Unreal. Eventually, you'll be able to make a game with Dreams. And all of these things have different vibes, and they don't actually... Um, they, they add to the creative palette that people can create with. Sorry, I'm digressing, but I guess my point is I happen to have this particular thing where I, I get fixated on this one game that we're making, that this one platform that we happen to be shipping on, and I use that kind of narrowness um, to motivate me to, to, to then make something that's joyful. And it, as you say, it comes out from the techiest end, which is me, to the game designers, to the artists who are more at the sort of visible end, having that singular focus on your game really helps me personally to to deliver something that, that, as you say, connects with players, or at least that's what I believe. I was thinking about um, what you were saying while you were saying it, which is probably a little bit rude. And no, it, it struck me that, you know, that there are guitarists out there, right? And if we told them, and I'm going to be slightly facetious and slightly <laughs> provocative here, but there are guitarists out there. And if we told them, listen, just just use a Strat or use um, use a use a Gibson, you know, you'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. Um, 
Do you think this is, uh, as I said, this is deliberately provocative? And you know, I've argued for the other side on this. But do you think that once people start to use engines, mm-hmm. much like guitarists always using the, the same stock guitar without any modifications, that yeah. the sound that's produced is somehow narrowed? Narrowed. Maybe the palette is narrowed. And and in the same way, do you think that in using a modern engine, there are some things you simply cannot do. Yeah, now that yes. So I think that you know what to, to stretch your analogy a little bit. I think the core of it has to be that the musicianship or gamesmanship or whatever you want to call it, craftsmanship maybe, um, has to be able to come out. So if the thing that you're using is a barrier, um, and it might be more or less of a barrier depending on what you're trying to do maybe it will stifle your your creativity. Sometimes barriers are good, by the way. I'm not saying that there shouldn't be boundaries, but what? But sometimes you can just kind of get that keyboard mashing head desk moment where you're just fighting kind of bureaucracy for the sake of it and um, or, you know, you're fighting a broken string or whatever the guitar analogy would be. Um, and so I, I do think the number one thing is to get yourself productive. And this is, this is an aside, but there's so many different ways of doing that. And one of the things that really struck me recently in this sort of debate was a, was a third way, which was um, the guy's doing Claybook, which is a Finnish, um, I know Seb Altonen um, best through Twitter, but there, there's, a, there's a crew of them making this game called Claybook. And it's really unconventional in terms of its engine technology, but they chose to build it on Unreal Engine. But they didn't choose to build it on Unreal Engine for all of the conventional reasons. They chose it as a sort of bootstrapping. I mean, they are a team that have made custom tech before. They, they have... Um, I think they were at Red Links before. Um, that may be a lie, but let's say that they were at Red Links before. They've made custom engines. They know how to do this, and they've chosen for their startup to do an Unreal Engine game and then proceed to do an entirely ray-traced engine that has nothing to do with the traditional pipeline. And at first glance, you might look at that and go, well, they're insane. It's like, you know, I've, I've lost track of what the music analogy will be at this point. But, um, <laughs> but uh, it's like... I love that they have that maturity to understand that that got them and a small company a leg up that Unreal Engine did in that particular case. It made them productive. Now, that wouldn't work for me. I I find Unreal Engine terrifyingly, dauntingly massive. Also incredible, to be clear. But like I I find that, because I don't understand every single cog and wheel, um, and I could read all the source code, but it would take a lifetime. That's not for me, but it was for them. And I love that they then bolted on top of it something that then made their tech unique. So they're, they're, they're forging a really interesting path, I think, which is knowing what makes you unique and knowing what you can use off the shelf. And, and for every different team, that will be a different equation. Do you think it takes mastery before yeah. you can make that decision? Yes, it absolutely does. And, and, but on the other hand, that's not to say you shouldn't give it a go. I mean, we've all messed up. Am I allowed to swear on this podcast? We've all um, absolutely effed up... Uh, loads of times in our choices. I mean, the other thing about get someone said this, and I'm not going to be able to remember the credit, so apologies, but someone said something like, you know, game development is this process of compromise, and it's absolutely shocking, especially with a multi-year project, that you have to live with these decisions you made three years ago, and you absolutely hate yourself, because the experience you have now is so different from the experience you had three years ago, or two years ago, or in our case, you know, six years ago. Um not just with games in general, but also with your game. You know, you've discovered what your game is, you've found where the fun is, hopefully, and you wouldn't definitely, definitely wouldn't make the same choices again. But it's too late to backtrack. And so, yes, you need expertise, but don't be fooled. I think everyone, by the end of their project, 
loathes every single decision they ever made. But the trick of it is to um, get through it, compromise it, and 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 without anyone else noticing the compromise. If that doesn't make any sense at all, but you know what I mean. Yes, experience needed, but we're all f-ing up all the time. So who knows? What would you say to beginning developers? Would you advise them to? learn the fundamentals or would you advise them to go straight to an engine i'll i'll give you my take on this which is probably entirely irrelevant but i'll explain to you why i'm thinking like you go first what would you what would you do i started programming a very very long time ago uh, ancient history and i found that it helped my discipline and my structuring and my uh, bug solving skills to have an understanding of the fundamentals and that meant knowing how machines actually work, how, com- how CPUs actually work, you know, mm. what, what the CPU is actually doing, um, all of that stuff, to, to know it from um, the, the machine level up, to understand the assembly language, to know exactly why things are happening the way that they are. Those, those, for me, were the absolute fundamentals, and they have helped me ever since to explain when things are working, why they're working, why they're slow, why they're fast, why they're broken, why they're not, and to get a handle on that. I think that's the crux of it for me is when they're broken. I was just going to say, I really want, you know, I I think this is all about what happens when things go wrong. When things go right, you know, it doesn't really matter what you're doing. Uh, It it just feels great and you're, you're floating. But when things go wrong, you have to be able to understand, as with anything in life, you know, what the machine is or what the... The mechanism is that, that that's broken to, in order to fix it. Yeah, I mean, when when we're talking about something as as simple as achieving a target frame rate of say sixty frames per second using a modern engine, and somebody who's not familiar with what's going on under the hood is struggling to work out why they're only getting ten frames a second. Absolutely. I mean, I remember seeing a, a talk. I'm not that familiar with Unity. Um, but I think, again, it's a brilliant platform for building things. And actually, to speak to your point earlier of, like, can you do anything with anything? I think you can. There's a question of grain. There's a question of whether or not you're productive in the end, of whether or not you know the engine is helping you or hindering you. But in the end, computers are amazing. Unity is amazing. And it gives you this a starting point. But sorry, the, to speak to the current point, there was a talk. I think it was by the, the Playdead um, guys who did, you know, Inside and Limbo, Incredible Games. And they've built it all on Limbo. On, um, excuse me, on Unity. But their talk, which as far as I remember was something like optimizing Unity or shipping a game, hitting frame rate, it, it sounded at first blush like, oh, just don't use Unity, essentially. You know, they ripped out so much stuff. They did. They avoided, and forgive me, I'm not a Unity expert, but they avoided all the various managers or built-in systems and then built their own kind of setups to do what they needed. But, you know, naively, you might think that was a criticism of Unity, but it's not at all. It's basically that Unity, they knew what to, to use uh, Unity for, and then um, they knew what to replace. And, um, and, but it took understanding, as you say. It took a lot of um, explanation and, and, and digging into the code. You started with this sort of assembly era 80s thing, um, and we were getting on to talking about fixing things when they're broken, but I, I, I cut you off. So, so where, where did that lead you, the 80s? assembler you know understanding the machine well it it left me with uh, a deep suspicion of complex systems that i don't understand Mm. and i i always feel like i've got to know what the frame rate is i've got to know 
what's going on all the time. The only way I can do that is with a profiler, and it still feels a little bit opaque. So what、mm. I'll do is I, I will write stuff defensively. I'll go, well, yeah, I know I've got the most powerful machine the world has ever known. I've got more power in my iPhone than was used to land people on the moon, and all of that. But it's being wasted because of all of these intermediary layers.、Mm. And unless I understand how they all relate to one another. I'm not going to be able to get the most out of this, or I'm going to use it in the wrong way. It's like you know, you've got a rocket and you're trying to drive it down the road. I mean, it's it's not made for that. And yeah, I suspect, you know, yeah. Sorry, I, go on. I, I totally agree, and I'm in the same camp. But then looking at it and hearing it, you know, I would be saying the same things. I suppose there's this like black hole that you can fall into,、um, which is taking the time to understand the rocket, especially as a beginner, trying to get that expertise we were talking about. Can end up taking an infinity of time, and and again you lose that productivity, and it's such a hard balance to strike. I remember, you know, like I love、um, obviously Casey and Handmade Heroes had a, a and the Handmade Network is is an amazing thing and、um, has had a huge impact and 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 espouses this kind of understand the system bottom up、um, kind of mentality. But what I thought thought was interesting was that you know the the process of watching him. Build the game bottom up, and I sort of I haven't been watching it so much recently. But for the first you know year or so, calendar year or so, I was watching it you know on and off, and it just reminds you all that this is how long it takes to, even if you're not building it, understand all of these these elements. And、um, you know you could easily lose a year of your life to、um, or more. I think even Carmack said when he was doing Id Tech Five, the 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 Rage Tech, he was like, "Oh, we rebooted everything." Um, and I'm never going to do that again. And that's you know coming from someone like Carmack, who's obviously been around the, been around the houses a few times. But yeah, it's, I, I never remember. I, I think it's like you never remember the pain of, you know, childbirth or something. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd never do it again if you're, if you're a woman.、Um, and、uh, I just think I never remember the pain of of, of redoing from scratch, which means that I keep doing it.、Um, but I, again, I get a kick out of it in the end. But yeah, be warned, anyone listening, that. Achieving this Zen understanding is achievable through time, or by restricting your scope. I had this. Sorry, I'm totally rambling. So just this is awesome. Me, but, no, no, this is exactly、um, the kind of stuff I'd love to hear more about. I mean, the the scope issue cuts right to the heart. It of, does. Of it all does. of this,、really、I、does. think. Yeah, go on. And and I was trying to, I was trying to cr- crystallize it on a Twitter thread. And you know, for all of Twitter's faults, I love the fact that it does force you to. Even in 280, to kind of crystallise your thoughts a bit more, especially for a rambly person like me. And there was this person saying, "Oh,、um, you know, what frameworks are there, and we should do re- more reusable code." Now, I have an absolute allergy to reusable code. I think it's a joke; like it never gets reused.、Um, I think that everyone has their level, and below that level, fair enough, you know. But for me, that level is essentially、um, the C standard library, and then everything else can fuck off.、Um, other people might choose their. <laughs> Reusable code layer higher, but what's funny is some people, especially beginners, I find, but maybe not, especially people outside of games, are used to choosing that reusable code layer really, really high, so quite high abstractions, and expect to bring one massive system from a, you know one game to the next. That's not been my experience at all, dating back to the Bullfrog days. And the reason I was trying to crystallise why, what is the reason, and it's to do with scope. And the reason is that reusable code, especially as it ages, has to serve multiple masters. So you know, Unity is a phenomenal feat because it served a million masters and managed to stay relevant to a sufficient majority of them, and flexible enough that those of 
you know, those are the uh, people who want to rip it apart and piece it back together and can. Um, but it does. It serves a million masters. And I think as a result, the code has to do all these different things. And as you said, it becomes opaque to profile. It becomes opaque to understand. And you can take the time and then you can, can win. But um, if you contrast that with a piece of code that you wrote bespoke, you can scope it down with laser focus. I mean, I think all of Dreams at the moment, which is a large project with a large number of programmers on it, um, is I think it's around 250,000 lines of code all in. And mm. that's including everything, every dependency, every library, every engine, physics engine, all the game, all the asset management, because obviously Dreams is nutty and includes a DAW and a full collaboration system and asset management system and yada yada. But my point is it's it's minuscule in t- compared to something like uh, Unity or Frostbite or any of these big engines. And, you, and I'm not saying that, and this is the crucial point, I'm not saying it's because we're super elite and we can do things in you know, 20th or 100th of the space, is because we have only one master, which is the game makers at Media Molecule. We, we only have to think about their needs um, and a few steps ahead of their needs, perhaps, at best. Um, whereas uh, Unity has to, has to cater to a much broader and wonderful range of different, different games. So when you're picking your tools and when you're picking your engine, rule number one has to be get yourself productive. But rule two, as you were saying, as you were speaking to, is like no where your knowledge ends and and, you know if you're going to have to optimize this or fix this when it breaks you don't want to be pushing it too hard in any area that you don't understand because otherwise you're just going to be hosed um so if you're pushing performance or pushing particles or pushing audio or pushing whatever make sure that that stack that that vertical within your engine you really really know well or are willing to replace because otherwise you're going to you're going to come a cropper when when launch is around the window and you can't hit frame rate so why do you think, uh, I mean, you've given excellent reasons as to why you produce your own technology and why why you enjoy it so much and, and how it brings you so much focus and it, it it's great not to have the responsibility of serving so many masters. Mm. Why do you think other companies persist in using their own tech? What would, what would you think the general reasons are for people to continue using their own tech as opposed to using brilliant systems like unity and unreal i mean i'm using unity you know so yeah uh, i'd hate for this to be perceived as any kind of attack on unity or unreal i i love them exactly yeah yeah no it's the opposite actually it's 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 kind of a weird weird love letter to it in the sense of like well wow guys that is insane that you managed to you know unreal as well uh and you know there's interesting upstarts as well the the cool thing is is an amazing time to pick and choose right now you've got things at a lower level like bgfx you've got um uh, higher level things like Unity and Unreal and, and as Seb showed me you can sort of rip apart Unreal and use the bits you want and customise the bits you don't um, but to answer your question directly I, I think it's to do with retaining talent I think um, there's, a, there's a cautionary tale in, in, um, in Lionhead now I'm speaking a bit out of tone because I wasn't there but my uh, so take this with a massive bag of salt but my understanding was that Fable at one point one of the Fable games that didn't, didn't pan out um, uh, was built with custom tech and it was really amazing. I mean, it was, you know, they were, they had some top talent at Lionhead making that engine. And then um, at some point, a very pragmatic decision probably made total sense to to um, do it across many dimensions was to switch to Unreal Engine. And what happened was that, that as a result, they, they lost hold or they lost the sort of fire of a bunch of talent. Now that's a double-edged sword, as I say, because you get, you know, the artists probably rejoiced because they were like, yay, we get to use standard tools and we can hire more easily and 
all these other good things. But um, to a certain kind of set of talented programmers who you do ultimately need to ship the game, they, they, um, they, they, they lost the sort of, it was a gut punch. Now, forgive me, Lionhead, as if I've mischaracterized that. And if, if I have, then just treat it as a parable with a fictional company called, called Lionhead. Because <laughs> I think that it does happen. And I think that talent retention is one of the reasons to carry on using in-house tech. And that's what I've heard from a few different unnamed um, industry uh, friends. You know, one of the things that I've always loved about you is a quote you came out with. It's eminent. You're, you know, you're, you are eminently quotable. But there's one thing in particular you said that stuck with me forever, and it was the tyranny of the polygon. Uh-oh, yeah. <laughs> and the, yeah. the thing I liked about that was here's a man truly thinking outside the box because the kind of stuff you want to express, it sounded to me like you were being constrained. And despite your brilliance in understanding how modern graphics technology and pipelines work um, and having understood those for quite some time despite all of that you found it seemed to me that your creativity found that even that level the hardware level the architecture level constraining can you tell us a bit more about that because I, th- I think this kind of relates to this yeah I think I think that's a really interesting point I mean I think that for me there's a there's a the self-deprecating angle, which is true, um, is that the computational geometry, as it's known, you know, is is quite hard. And I think I'd really recommend a series of blog posts by um, Fabian Giesen or Rig in the demo scene. I think he goes as rigorous on Twitter um, with a Y, R-Y-G. Um, anyway, so he wrote uh, a few years back a, a set of posts on how to do procedural meshes, right? So triangles and how to procedurally generate efficiently and represent... Um, Meshes, which is, you know, your basic bread and butter triangle thing. And the point that I want you to get from reading those blog posts is it's bloody hard. And Rig is basically a super genius brain that I could not. I, I'm a sort of, I know my craft, and I know my, my place. And I'm sort of basically a demo coder um, grown up. And that's my skill. Rig is, is actually, I think, outrageously talented and annoyingly young super brain. And if he basically writes this series of blog posts where he's like, I've, I really messed up representing the most basic thing, like representing meshes um, a bunch of times, then you know that this is hard level, you know, uh, really hard shit. And so for me, the appeal of things like voxels and pixels and one of the reasons that so many people kind of have that allure, not just, it's not just a visual style thing. It's because sort of less, lesser programmers than Rig, like myself, can imagine manipulating pixels, voxels, and, and grid-like structures much more easily and fluidly than manipulating um, uh, polygons. But the thing is, the, the, the part where I'm going to be the opposite of self-deprecating is like I think it's allowing yourself to give up on this technology, you know, triangles, which has got however many billion transistors dedicated to it and however many billion brilliant minds, hardware, um, architecture dedicated to it. And I think around 2014, 2015 was the time when you could start to do that, when compute shaders were getting general enough, when GPUs were getting fast enough that you could take a hit of performance, perhaps, because you're off the beaten track, but you, you can afford to think, well, my game deserves this treatment. My, my game needs, a, a, you know, in our case, distance fields or point clouds. Other people might say voxels or um, other representations. And I love that that's... It's like the Comanche moment again, you know, like it's coming back around uh, that era when everyone was trying out different techniques um, before the hardware kicked in. Um, 
I don't really know what my point is, but um, I, I do think it's 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 let yourself let yourself be guided by what it is you want to achieve artistically or what your team want to achieve artistically, and if that means breaking away from existing technologies. And you've just reminded me there was something I wanted to say. Um, I was thinking about it again at lunch. One of the things that I think none of the engines are doing well, um, and they'll have to forgive me because again I, I think they're brilliant, um, is collaboration and the sort of there's a whole side of game engines that isn't really talked about. Everyone assumes that game engines are about you know audio rendering and, and visual rendering, and that's about it. Maybe physics at the push. Um, there's a huge amount of engines that's about the sort of machinery of making, the sort of the the process of making games, and the sort of development and collaboration, different types of people that you that come to the table to try and make a game. And I really think there's like untapped something, and I, I don't even know what it is. I haven't even got a handle on what this is except for the fact that i don't feel that they've tried to innovate so much in the field of like a team working together and really sort of creatively jamming um and i mean dreams tackles that but in a very left field way so i don't think it's trying to take that on directly but i do think that that there could be more in engines to we we should talk more about how we work together if that makes sense Mm. and maybe the polygon that needs jettisoning at this point isn't a polygon it's something to do with how we how we collaborate, but I, I don't. Maybe someone in your podcast will be listening and go, "I know the answer. I'm going <laughs> to go and do it." Maybe we need um, something um, like a game asset blockchain. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. Well, preferably not blockchain, but yes, we need <laughs> we need uh, something with a bit more performance. Maybe. Yeah, well, we'll get the we'll game the game asset bubble, and then it will burst, and we'll all have bits of game <laughs> game asset all over us. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but that's my call to arms. Everyone is like, you know, that we need that it's the tyranny of the source control and the prefab. You know, we need to we need to bust out of that and find a way to um, collaborate better. Um, and we had a couple of stabs in, uh, on dreams and failed actually. Like um, our previous prototype, which is called Bubbles, which is what we were showing two years ago, um, took an extremely opinionated view on this, and um, we gave up in the end. And we had to we had to go back to a slightly safer still mad and out there but slightly safer um approach to collaboration um and yeah i think it's really untapped potential because it means that we're all working together in a slightly shitty way and maybe games would flourish even more especially in terms of diversity different ideas different people coming into games now is the time we need more voices and different kinds of people making games and then we're stuck with these archaic sort of 90s at best era collaboration mechanisms um which just turns off someone who you know that they're, they're bubbling with ideas i remember kareem who came out from outside games arriving at lionhead and he's a concept artist and he just poured this unbelievable outpouring of energy and creativity and art into lionhead and it it sort of didn't have anywhere to land if you know what i mean it didn't have any it didn't stick as well as it should and that wasn't mm-hmm. on kareem that was on the sort of collaboration tools and it wasn't on lionhead as a company it was on all of the games industry as a at fault because we didn't have a way to have all of that wonderfulness stick and 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 transfer to other team members. So yeah, mm. I, I'm tell them a bit super frustrated by it, but I don't have the answer. So I don't know what you think about that. Well, I, I I'm wondering if part of that is because the tools that we use are based on tools that were used in uh, non-interactive environments in the 60s and 70s. Uh, you know, lots of command line stuff, and also the idea that a game studio has to be in one building. Yes. Yeah, it's, Which is dissolving. The view. it's dissolving it's, right now, yeah. isn't 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm working in a completely distributed way on purpose. And yeah. I spent a fair amount of my setup time looking at ways in which we can be robust and to ensure that communication is good, to still have meetings. But, you know, you talked about the tyranny of the polygon. For me, it's the tyranny of the office. I mean, it just makes no sense to me in, in this modern era where you've got the internet and so much bandwidth to have everybody in the same space. So my, my question to you would be, what, what has been the, in, in that distributed setup, um, which I'm less familiar with, we're starting to do it, but, but not on your level, um, what has been the biggest collaboration barrier and which has been the biggest collaboration kind of unexpected, oh, this wasn't a problem at all, I thought this would be shit and it's fine, kind of thing. Like, what's worked out and what hasn't? So the, the biggest barrier is still that, that, for me, magic happens when people are in the same environment. There's no getting away from that. It doesn't happen all the time. You need to give people space. What, in an ideal world, you would have a period of coming together and you'd have a very long period of working on your own stuff with light touches of communication in between, rather like trying to get the best out of a, a multi-core processor. You yeah. <laughs> you, 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 don't want, you don't want everything locked all the time mm. because yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's an office, right? Uh, but boost, ne- mode is, boost mode is fine occasionally. <laughs> but neither do you want threads running free and not caring about what data is produced by the by the other core. So, mm. so that has been difficult for me, trying to find the right balance for that. I mean, Slack is okay, but it's basically um, a dressed up IRC. Um, mm. It you know it's it's all right. It, it does a job. There's nothing better right now for team comms and sharing media and so on but you know you still lose the flavor of the human being even when you skype you lose some yeah. of the flavor of the human being um, i love i love that um you know the the slack people they they were at flickr before weren't they um is that right i think that's right and um flickr itself did you, did you know this story was actually a multiplayer game have you heard yeah, this yeah 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 and, and then they were like oh we'll build the like communication side of it um and then it turned into flickr and they never actually made the game and I think that it's interesting that they're in there. You know, you 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 peg them as at the front front of this communication. For me, I found um, I think I'm too programmery. I fixated to maybe too much at the sort of coal face of actual asset creation. I find that if you want to do a small team, you have to have everyone sort of wearing lots of hats, and that ends up. You know, if you can cleanly say you're the audio guy, you're the animation guy, and you're the um, uh, code girl, and you're the uh, I don't know, pick a discipline. Um, I've, I've run out. <laughs> designer, um, <laughs> designer person. Um, it's okay if you've got those clear walls between you, but actually the best games come when, of course, you know the art crosses over into the design, crosses over into the code, even crosses over into the shaders, etc. And that messiness—it's the messiness that I, that sometimes makes that magic you're talking about in a, in an office where someone overhears a conversation that totally wasn't for them, but it is for them, and, and then you realise, and then and you get this kind of melting pot moment um that's really hard to get in a more in a, in a more structured or or, or or distributed environment i think yeah it takes enormous discipline and mm. most people don't have it i'm not sure i have it but it you know you, ha- you tend to have enough to be able to pull it off if you have even the slightest care about your craft you you i think you're able to pull it off i mean and are you the, are you going to do sort of meetups and stuff are you going to yeah, sort of... definitely definitely yeah. it, it yeah. has to happen you you have to I think you have something magical happens when you're in the same space as even one other human being, and I'm you, not able you, to you explain. You go less it. mad as well. 
yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is that. There's a, the cabin fever aspect. But I think it's important. And, and sometimes you get some communication that would not otherwise have happened. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah and exactly. You can't rely on it. But, you know, if you've got a team that have been working on the same problem for quite some time, and then they get together and brainstorm, some, I think some very cool stuff does come out of that. There's another form of cabin fever as well, which um, <clears throat> I, I, I realized a few years ago, maybe quite a few years ago, actually, that I really thrive on sort of external validation, which is, I guess, a way of saying I've got a massive, massive freaking ego. Um, but it's true that when you're, when you're on your own, it's the most intense. But even amongst a team, if you're working on something for a long time, the doubts start creeping in, you know, the tiredness starts creeping in. Any, you, you lose sight of what you're making and, and also you lose sight of the larger context that you're releasing into, whether that's games or film or whatever else. And I found it really hard to do something in, not in secret, but like under the radar. Sometimes that's what you need. I'm really glad that we just got our heads down for the last two years. But my God, it felt good to kind of be able to just talk to people on Twitter and, and, and talk about what I'm doing. And as a result, I was able to see it through other people's eyes, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so it's yeah. a weird form of collaboration. It's like you're collaborating with your audience, um, which is an important thing to do as well. Yeah, as soon as, as soon as they see it and relate to it and feed back on it, it's changed already. Exactly, exactly. Now, I, I see you, the developer, as the composer and the player as the performer. And I think in the case of, um, yeah, sorry, going back to the music analogies again, but uh, I, I think in something something like dreams it almost strikes me that you're not just the composer here you're the luthier you're well, creating actually, yeah, the instrument that's, that's spot on i mean a, a long time ago i i gave a talk i think it was at bafta and i said um i realize now that i i would have been you know if i could have been in the olden days a luthier a, a, an instrument maker and i'm unashamed about it now for a while i was unsure you know i'm, I'm not a hardcore gamer although the other people at media molecule are so what am I? You know, why am I in game dev if 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 I'm not also wearing the game gamer hat? You know, what what? How can I not be a complete um, fraud? And then I suddenly realised, no, no, I'm actually just slightly a bit more meta. And I, the thing that excites me is is uh, making guitars. To use your analogy, and then watching both sides of that guitar thing. So in other words, I want to be the person that makes a guitar, then watches the developer develop, and then watches the game a game and see that kind of um, and be that third point in the triangle that's often forgotten about. You know, so you've got this coming back to dev tools. It's often thought about as a sort of dichotomy of you've got the developer and the gamer. But I want to sort of be this this third point in a now triangle, which is like, well, I'm helping the developer and I'm helping the gamer. I'm sort of um, a medium molecule kind of stands in that middle of that triangle, trying to trying to sort of serve those three masters. And it, it's tricky at times, but when it works, it's just super glorious. It's lovely. Alex Evans, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for listening to me ramble and um, I look forward to uh, seeing what you make in the shed. <laughs> when is Dreams out, Alex? Uh, 2018 and uh, there should be a beta before it comes out. So that means hopefully, you know, relatively early in 2018. It's my most anticipated game of 2018. I wish you all the best with it. Thank you very much and um, cheers. Cheers again. Okay.